What would it be like if you were the running back? And he, like <laughs> Kirby is pointing to like Jackson Harris, the backup tight end. And he's like, me, the running back. And then he's like, yes. What if you were the running? Let's back? just see it happen. That's yeah. that's kind of what it I'm seems the mayor- like. <laughs> I'm Kirby, the mayor of Whoville. <laughs> Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm still Justin. And we're still here to talk about the University of Tennessee versus the University of Georgia's upcoming game on Saturday at 3.30 on CBS. It's hate week. It is hate week. We got so many hate weeks as Georgia, I feel. Yeah, everyone hates us. I feel like it's funny that USC has like, South Carolina has two real rivals, Clemson and UGA, where they're second best rival. And, you know, we're... To us, South Carolina is like our seventh rival. And like UT yeah. is sort of the same way, arguably. Like some people will tell you the UT game is number one if they live in Chattanooga. And some people will tell you it's like less important than tech. So I will say this is the grossest weekend in Athens. Every year than Tennessee comes to, to Athens, this is the grossest weekend because Tennessee travels really well. And for whatever reason, having worked in the service industry for as long as I did downtown, the grossest stuff that I cannot even speak of on this podcast happened in restaurants I worked at and bars I worked at when Tennessee would come to town. Is that kind of a moment where I should tell you what I'm even talking about or what? (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I want to know. I mean, I agree. I would say that the sort of sartorial choices that happen in the UT fan base are kind of interesting. It's it's really it's really funny that UT is the only fan base I know of where they they can't choose a Pantone color. Like if you go through with like color swatches and just like color match UT fans' clothes, you can find like a a, a veritable panoply of shades. It's it's um really it's just like Clem and his amazing monocolored dream coat. Um, <laughs> So that's a funny thing I actually found out today looking through uh, the history of, of University of Tennessee is their colors scheme. The orange and white colors actually that are worn by the football team were selected by Charles Moore, who was a member of the very first Tennessee football team in 1891. And it's to represent the American Daisy, which grew up on the hill, which is where it's like their north campus essentially for Tennessee. Yeah, no, I'm aware. I, I live. Oh, yeah. So just for some background, I did live in Knoxville for two years before mm-hmm. we moved back to UGA. Oh, yeah. Um, And yeah, I mean, I miss some friends that I have in Knoxville. And, you know, don't get me wrong. The country around Knoxville is beautiful, beautiful country. And there are a couple Uh of very nice places in Knoxville. Market Square is pretty cool. Gay Street's pretty cool. Downtown's fine. Old City is cool. Uh, But, you know, other than that, I kind of hate it and never want to go back there. Yeah, I get that. I've never actually been to Knoxville. I've only been to Nashville and maybe Chattanooga. And the rest I've kind of just driven through. I do want to clarify. I do still have a lot of friends in Knoxville that I do very much miss. And I have family in Knoxville who I love them. But We do have a number of listeners in Tennessee as well, specifically yeah, Knoxville. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I, I, I will, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to compliment sandwich it and say this. I'll say something nice about Knoxville to end this, this part of the discussion is that Knoxville smells great. Like the air up there in the mountains is just so clean. And it just smells like verdance. It smells like like the fecundity of nature overflowing. It's 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 so good. The only thing I'll say to wrap up that conversation about the uh, the orange worn by Tennessee is that I imagine the reason why it is so hard to find it is because the actual color is licensed by the university, and so you can only buy it right if you're buying official gear, which is yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> uh, yeah, I also it's also just not a great country. It's not a great. Um, I don't my understanding is that it's also not a great color to print in 
or to like die so it, people end up coming close but not totally getting it um all right so let, we always kind of start our previews with a little bit of history these last couple of times i say always but yeah. the last few times we've, we've talked about ut history so our history of whatever we're whoever we're playing so let's uh let's do a history lesson hit me i'll hit you with that that good good history lesson so a little bit of ut history for you the university was founded as blunt college in 1794 because whomever blunt i don't recall their first name it was the very first governor of the quote-unquote great state of tennessee uh, the original tuition charged at tennessee was eight dollars a session just God to give bless. everybody a point of reference it became the eastern tennessee college in 1807 then it promptly closed in 1809 even when it opened it was actually it struggled with um actually getting a student body and faculty and there's a lot of funding issues because of that but eventually it reopened in 1820. Uh, there was a board of trustees that funded it and founded the actual university. It was still Eastern Tennessee College at that point, but it became the University of Tennessee in 1879. And since then, their uh, their football team was founded in 1899, I believe. Uh, university of Tennessee claimed six national titles through then, but only two of them are recognized by major polls like uh, the AP or the Coaches Poll. But they claim they, they've won six national titles through one reason or another. Um, they're sixth in all-time bowl appearances at 52 games with a record of 28 and 24. They trail Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Nebraska, and USC, respectively. Their bowl record since the year 2000 is 6 and 13, which is rough. Their all-time record as a football program is 833, 383, and 53 ties. The Georgia University of Tennessee first game took place in 1899, so they're at football camp. Football program is a little bit older than that. I think it was 1894 or so. But it was a University of Tennessee win, that, that first game against Georgia in 1899. And they didn't play a whole lot until um, – it was pretty sporadic since then, so they didn't play every year. They started the, the year-to-year rivalry in 1992, and we've been playing every year since then. The University of Tennessee, Tennessee uh, series between against Georgia now is uh, 23-22-2 with Tennessee leading by that one game. And the biggest loss came from Georgia – last year with a 41 to zero loss and that's the biggest loss in knoxville in the last 112 years huge hmm. so just a little a little snapshot into to tennessee history there um also i found out through a little bit of research that rocky top the song that everyone knows about tennessee that uh the band plays they play over the loudspeakers they play constantly everyone just yells at everybody is not officially the fight song of the university of tennessee the, yeah down the field is down the field is the uh, the official song yeah but they it is still in their pregame yeah 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 exactly which leads me to ask can you tell the fans about rocky top please Nathan. the song rocky top yes tell, yeah. tell people about rocky top what do you know about rocky top tell us your rocky top experience this okay so Rocky Top is one of the most. Yeah, we're talking about the song in particular, not like the concept. Oh no, no, the, the song in particular. You can give yeah. you can give a little bit of background by talking about the concept first if you want. Well, yeah, I mean, Rocky Top is not a UT specific song. Rocky Top no. is Rocky Top is an old. It's an old uh, bluegrass folk song, song, bluegrass yeah. song. Yeah, and that is, I mean, honestly, and I can't believe I'm about to say these words. It's actually a pretty good song. It's pretty well composed. It's an interesting sounding song. I mean, other than the fact that it's played 80 times a game, I really don't have any complaints about it. Like, honestly, I, everybody hates on it and I hate it too, but I'm, you know, it's not. It's the context it's that not, you hate. It's not the song yeah, itself. Yeah. It's not the worst composed song of uh, the fight songs that we play. But one of the, one of the interesting qualities about Rocky Top is, and I, and I think this has to do with the meter that it's in. So one of the things about, uh, not uh, about the uh, Rocky Top is that it's like imminently uh, parody-able. 
and it's in it's actually in like it's in an octameter it's arguably from a poetic standpoint it's either in uh trochaic octameter or accentual octameter if you just write the words out and say them which makes it really easy to write alternate lyrics to and you can imagine and if you've ever been to a ut game and been around their opposing fans that this actually happens quite a bit you know uh uga fans have their own version of rocky top which i'm not going to you know repeat here because this is a family establishment um (laughs) i will say one i think kind of very sweet not sweet but one very funny anecdote i have about rocky top is that when i moved to tennessee i actually made quite a few friends and uh, i was very lucky to work with carter high school's band Uh, i worked at carter high school in, in knoxville and i was very lucky to work with their band they're very good the assistant band director there was a ut alumni and had been a member of the what is it pride of the southland marching band and she told me that their lyrics, their alternate lyrics to our fight song was uh, were, I'm so glad I'm not from Georgia, just over uh-huh. and over again. I'm so glad <laughs> I'm not from Georgia. I'm so glad I'm not from Georgia. And I actually thought that was kind of sweet. And then she was like, oh, what do you guys do for your version? And I was like, oh, well, you know, it's different. Uh, there's not really a single one because I just didn't want to be mean to her, you know, because she's my friend. Yeah, oh, that's ac- actually, actually, there's there's one other thing that I wanted to point out. Did you know that Glory is not actually UJ's fight song? Is it not? Yeah, Hail is UJ's fight song. Hail to Georgia Down and Dixie. Huh. Yeah. Um, uh, UG, um, Glory, Glory was, it's actually technically soon to the, sung to the tune of John Brown's Body. And it was sung as early as the 1890s, but... It was um, adapted in the 19... It was originally sung to John Brown's body, like... But then it was adapted to be played to um, Battle Hymn of the Republic by Hugh Hodgson, which is actually the person who uh, the school of music is named after at UGA in 1915. But it's generally considered to be the fight song of UGA, but it is not technically the fight song. So Ugh. the more you know. Yeah. A little history lesson about Georgia. We never play against Georgia, so I don't talk about the history of Georgia. Okay, I just want to give one more. I, it, if you couldn't tell, this is the subjective narratives part of the podcast. And there's not really a lot of subjective narratives around this game other than that UGA should probably win and UT is a couple of years away. And, you know, there's not really a lot else to say about it. Yeah. But I, I just want to give you a... Um, <clears throat> I just want to give you a little bit of... What's the word I'm looking for? Schadenfreude, maybe? I don't know. Experience. That and, sounds and like a word we would say. Yeah, this is definitely not um, a history lesson, but it's just something I find very pleasing in my soul. If you go on UTK, which is the general, uh, UTK is the generally accepted, like, official abbreviation for UT, which is interesting because it's just like they've ceded uh, the UT to Texas, I think, uh, because there's like a UTC, which is University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, and UTK is University of Tennessee, Knoxville. But anyway, um, but if you go to UTK's uh, Office of Budget Management, Budget and Finance webpage, and you look at peer institutions, <laughs> uh, and these are like the institutions that UT considered itself on par with, it says uh, the list is North Carolina State, Virginia Tech, Auburn, Iowa State, South Carolina, Clemson, Louisiana State, Nebraska, Lincoln, Kentucky, Missouri, and Alabama. Aspirational institutions, that is, institutions that academically and organizationally UTK uh, strives to be like, are. Um, <laughs> The University of Minnesota, the University of Florida, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Michigan State University, Purdue University, and last on the list, but first in our hearts, the University of Georgia. hey And that always just makes me very happy. Apparently, when my wife got her doctoral school orientation at UT, they actually said at her doctoral school orientation that UGA was an aspirational university. 
Uh, she just text messaged me this as we were recording because she's in the same room, and she just wrote "suck it haters" where <laughs> with which was spelled H eight T E R S, which is very very good. <laughs> and now she's writing things that are not repeatable on this podcast. Okay, let's talk about stats. Yeah, we, I was I gonna think say, we, did we, we shake got, all that out? Yeah, I think we got all of the. I would say for UGA fans, pretty well restrained vitriol out of our system. So let's talk about these good good numbers. Uh, we are good, good stat boys after all. Um, so <clears throat> I'll do S&P Plus update if you'd like. This is as of last weekend. UT, the record is 2-2. Two and two. They have two second order wins, which is to say they should have won two of the games that they won, and they should have very much lost the two games that they lost. They are in the 56.7% percentile of S&P Plus. Uh, they are ranked 57th overall. Their offensive rank is 44th. Their defensive rank is 80th. Their special teams S&P Plus is 18th. Last week, they were 40th. They had a negative 17% change after a loss to Florida last year. Or last year. It feels like last year. After a loss to Florida last week uh, with a final score of 47-21. to 21. They had a 0% postgame win expectancy in that game. And their adjusted score margin to the, for the game was 35 points. So they were actually sort of lucky to get what they got. They, last week, they had a 31 percentile per, or percent percentile performance against Florida with a 61% on offense and an 8% on defense. And before you ask, that is actually not the worst percentile performance for them on the year. Against West, uh, against West Virginia, a game they lost 40-14 to 14 with the adjusted scoring margin a little bit uh, narrower, 24.9. Um, they had a 68% performance on offense and a 7% performance on defense. So... Good golly, not not a, not a very good team. Uh, no. that's, that's the top line stat. This is a below average team in pretty much every dimension. We can go into some. Yeah, and they literally. have a they have a slightly above above average offense, and they have some talent on the uh, in the running back core, and they have a sort of pedestrian quarterback. Basically, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I would describe him as pedestrian. Yeah. That's the sweetest way of saying someone's terrible. Well, I mean, he's not bad. Like, you couldn't have the 44th ranked offense in, in the nation, you know? But if you sure. look at their offensive ranks, like, uh, um, their passing ranks, it's like passing marginal efficiency, 26th. Good. Passing marginal explosiveness, 18th. That's fine. Passing mar- or that's actually very good. Passing completion rate, 53rd. Sack rate, 100. So it's like, you know. Yeah, yeah. They're doing a little bit, but they're getting a lot of that in there. I mean, against uh, against FBS teams, they play well. They play UTEP, and F- is probably the worst FBS team in the nation. But they played UTEP and uh, Tennessee State, and so against you know Power Five teams, they have now currently scored thirty five points on the year. Yeah. UGA's lowest scoring out- output this year was what forty one. Forty one. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty rough. And I mean, the the thing is, like, all of their games this year are going to kind of skew all these stats, which is kind of funny because they they won their FCS games by a bunch, and then they lost their FBS games by a bunch, and they played very very poorly in both games. Like, and a lot of just strange stuff happened, like a lot of turnovers that, you know, like we've already established are all all luck. Like the way what happens to the turnovers, it's all luck anyway, depending on who ends up getting it. So. It's all, it's very slightly skewed, but not skewed enough to take away from this is just a bad Tennessee team. Well, I mean, they had six turnovers in the Florida game. When you turn the ball, you know, we always talk about how turnover, you can coach like ball security, right? You can coach forcing turnovers, but you cannot coach recovering turnovers. Yeah, there's just so many factors that go into it. (laughs) Yeah. So if you give up, if you give up, if you turn the ball over six times in a game, on average, you're going to lose three of those. Yeah. I that mean, sucks. That, yeah, that's the mark of a pretty bad team. 
Actually, their their highest, other than Charlotte, against which they have a ninety four percent chance of winning, according to S and P Plus. For the rest of the way, their uh, win probabilities are seven percent against us, fifteen percent against Auburn, five percent against Alabama, nine or twenty one percent against South Carolina, twenty five against Kentucky, thirty six against Missouri, and forty five against Vanderbilt. This is a hard year. Yeah, their cumulative projective wins are four point five. This is going to be a rough year for them. And I, I mean, I I actually have very close friends who are not going to listen to this so it doesn't matter that i'm saying this but i have very close friends that are hardcore tennessee fans and i mean i get it <laughs> like you know it sucks it's gonna it's gonna suck Been this there. year yeah it's all right though guys um do you want to go through their uh five factors for sure yeah i'll go down their offensive side first starting with efficiency so their success rate and efficiency is 49th their marginal efficiency is 48th their explosive uh, explosiveness, ISO PPP, they're at 53. Their marginal explosiveness is 46th. Their field position is 51st. Finishing drives, they're 53rd best in the nation. Turnovers, uh, their expected turnover margin is right in at 116. Actual turnover margin is 90th. Like you said mm-hmm. earlier, it's, it's, it's slightly above average on the offense. Not great, not the worst. Mm-hmm. They are mm-hmm. at least consistent across the board in being... Mm-hmm. I mean, Just they're consistently average. Medium. All of their yeah. offensive ranks are between what? Uh, if you if you skip turnovers, all of their offensive ranks are between forty eighth and fifty third. So this is a just above average offense. And this isn't something we've actually faced this year because we faced a team every week so far that had one thing they were better at. And so yeah. this is something you prepare differently against this team. And so playing well, against a team is, that's consistently average across the board, it's going to be much more balanced. And and it's actually very interesting you say that they've got one thing they're good at because they do. I mean, they're actually, I mean, they are pretty balanced in actuality of what they do. Yeah. Um, but what they are trying to do and what they are successful at is two are two very different things. Yes. And that's something we're going to talk about going forward. Yeah. So what are their defensive five factors numbers? So running on the defense real quick uh, on efficiency, their success rate on defense is 66. Their marginal efficiency is 97. They're worse than we expected them to be essentially. Their ISO PPP is 116th. Big plays get past them easily. So marginal explosiveness 107th. Their field position on defense is 68th. They're finishing drives. They're uh, very bad at defending against teams that are finishing drives. They're 101st. Uh, and the turnover luck doesn't really matter as much. Points per game from turnovers is half a point. This this is a game, this is a team, you know, with turnover luck being half a point, that means this is a team that is losing games it should lose, which is backed up by its uh, second order win probability. Um, so let's look at their offensive footprint because I think this is where it's interesting because standard down run rate, so offensively, standard down run rate, um, 68.9% of the time they run on standard downs for their rank of 16th nationally. Pass down run rate, 47.1% of the time for 12th nationally. This is this is a team that runs just about as much as like the service academies and Georgia Tech, right? Like not quite <laughs> yeah. that much, but they're in the top 15 in both of those, or they're in the top 20 in both of those. Adjusted pace, 95th. Percentage of solo tackles, uh, 97th. So they do not try to get the ball in space to people. And ha- Havoc rate allowed, 107th. So they will give up a big play, which when you turn it over six times in a game, makes sense um standard down run rate uh faced uh defensively 122nd pass down run rate uh, 27th interesting people are running against them in third and long a lot overall havoc rate 23rd so they actually make some havoc plays dl havoc rate 21st lb havoc rate 13th db havoc rate 44th and passes defense to interceptions 120th that's very very interesting it's very interesting so they're not playing very aggressively in the defensive backfield no not at all. Uh, which makes sense because uh, defensive DB havoc rate is their lowest number. Uh, so this is a, this is a team that like 
defensively they're not very good but they're being aggressive they're trying to cause havoc plays and they're relatively consistent at it although you know i would point out that playing two non-power five teams uh one of which was an fcf team and then playing florida's offense uh probably will get you some havoc plays yeah for sure yeah so it's going to skew those numbers just a little bit so anything anything you're seeing in the deeper stats that you think is worth highlighting havoc rate allowed i'm really excited about the havoc rate allowed we haven't seen a whole lot of craziness from our uh defense in terms of like blitzing and havoc we did see a bit more in the south carolina game i feel we saw a bit more a bit more blitzes whether or not they were successful is is not necessarily important it's just the fact that we were being more aggressive than we have been the rest of the year i feel and i think this is a team that we can definitely practice that play and uh just do a lot more in their backfield this game because so, you know a team that's 107th ranked and havoc rate uh havoc plays allowed is pretty exciting for me personally yeah <laughs> well, let's pat, let, let's pat up those havoc stats, huh? Yeah, because yeah. this is not a this is not like when this, when this team throws. This is not a quick release team. This isn't like MTSU where they're getting the ball out every two seconds. Um, yeah, so a couple of things I would point out is they are currently um, 101st in the nation in third and long positions, third and long, uh, third and longs that they like find themselves in on offense. So 55 percent, 55.6 percent of their third downs are third and longs. Um, their third down success rate is 107th in the nation, which probably does covail. And this is very interesting. Their third and short success rate is 103rd in the nation. Now, I cannot imagine that a Jeremy Pruitt coach team would run straight up the middle every time on third and short. Yes, I absolutely can't imagine that. <laughs> they are also, you know, they're not very good on, they're, they're decent in the open field in some, you know, in some aspects. They're pretty efficient, like marginally efficient in, on open play. Um, percentage of first downs coming on first and second 73% which is good for 37th in the nation so it seems like they're either getting a chunk play or they're not getting anything at all their blitz down success rate is for 32nd so that's probably because they don't have a lot of blitz downs honestly because they're not throwing a lot uh, their blitz down big play rate 68 their blitz down sack rate 30th so you know if you get them backed up they're relatively good at avoiding the bad play or avoiding the big play but on the other hand that's probably because they're not att- attempting a lot uh, Jarrett Gorantano, who has started most of their games, has gone 46 for 72. 72 attempts, number one on the team, for 658 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. So for a 63.9 completion rate, 14.3 yards per uh, attempt, and our yards for completion, and 7.8 yards per attempt. Yeah, so that's not very good. What's the piece you were sharing about third downs? Uh, basically, their percentage of... So about half of their third downs end up as third and longs on offense. Okay, yeah. And so- of those third and longs, like all of their third downs overall... They're only converting 32.4% of their third downs. Yeah, so I was actually looking into the Bill Walsh stats for a second there because Bill Walsh has a breakdown of third downs specifically. He breaks those down between short, medium, and long, and he gives you a a percentage of success rate and um, how often they get in those situations, which is really interesting. But the third and long, their success rate in third and long right now is they're they're ranked 30th, and 33% of the time they do have a successful third and long play, which is interesting to look at. Even though they yeah. are getting into those positions, they're they're doing all right against it. Just mm-hmm. throwing that out there. That's all. But they are getting into third and long. Um, Fifty-five point six percent of the time, they're on offense. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I guess you'd have Which to be rough. pretty good at third and long. Well, you'd right? have to be, yeah, or else you just you know you're you're done for. You're just punting all day. Their special teams are not particularly good either. No, they're not. I mean, they're. I look. This is. It's hard to say this because it's like, well, you know, technically, you can lose. You can lose any game. And that's yes. true. We're playing in the SEC. Something can happen. We can lose this game. But this game, this this team is almost boring about how below average they are. They're not awful, right? They're not UTEP. They're not, you know, 
Yeah, well, I was going to say North Texas, but North Texas is good. A lot they're of doing really well. Bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're not Rutgers, right? They're they're a bad SEC team, which means they still have a lot of four star athletes. They still have a good coach that recruits the hell out of his area. They still have a very intense fan base. So this is a game that you know you want to say every team, every game that you can lose. You know, especially uh-huh. any SEC game, you can technically lose. Like my freshman year, we lost to Kentucky. And that was not the Kentucky of this year. That was a bad oh, Kentucky no. team. Yeah, we lost to we. I mean, this is a team that lost to a Joker Phillips coached Kentucky team. This is a team that lost to Vanderbilt on homecoming. So I'm never going to say never. But this, you know, like whatever your feel is for this game, it it probably is like yeah, we should win this game pretty comfortably. Um, and there is really nothing in the stats. Like if I was a Tennessee partisan, if this was um, I don't know what it would be called, like Tennessee by the numbers or Rocky Top <laughs> stats. Or whatever. If this was a rock, if this is a UT um, statistical podcast, I would probably have a hard time coming up with a way that we could win this game. Like even if I ignored the fact that we only had they only had a seven percent chance to win by S and P plus, and I just really looked deep into the numbers and tried to say, find something where we had an advantage, it would just not be there. Wouldn't it's, be a lot of it. Yeah, it's a very specific scenario that they would have to create. Which that's not you, you can't always do that in football. You can't create your own situations. A lot of it is is up to yeah. what happens on the field. You know. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many factors and so many variables, true. but and it's all about making your your opponent predictable, and that's that's just not what Tennessee is going to do well this game. I'm sorry, guys. There's not really a lot. I, I usually can come up with some really witty thing, but we should beat the hell out of these guys. That's about yeah. all there is. Like we should win this game going away. We have seven percent of every thousand games we play against them, they win. That's it, though. <laughs> they win. Isn't yeah. that right? They win seven. Seven seven out of a hundred. Seven out of a hundred. I thought it was out of a thousand, but same yeah. thing essentially. With all that in mind, do you have some stats worth highlighting? <laughs> I mean, uh, to me, you know, I guess this is a good way to get into like things we want to see. But to me, uh, the stats that I think are most interesting to highlight are our stats going into the next game after this one. Like, do we have an improvement on efficiency and success rate in defense? Yeah. Do we win this game with a plus four or five percent differential in success rate? Right? Do we do the things that we should do against this team You know, based on the stats? So I don't just mean, do we win this game going away? I mean, do the stats say that we thoroughly dominated this team and made them inefficient on offense especially? Uh, that's what I want to see. You know, I, I want to see us defend the run. They're 50th in marginal rushing efficiency. Rushing success rate numbers. They're uh, currently 58th in rushing uh, efficiency and their uh, marginal efficiency. And their standard down success rate, they're 73rd. So this is like a below average team in... You know, it should be running against us. And I just want to see that backed up. This is a team that like by comparison, currently South Carolina, whose run game, we totally shut down their um, their rushing marginal efficiency is 15th. This is a team that we should totally shut down if their rushing marginal efficiency is 58th. I do not want to see them gaining over 100 yards rushing. And that's probably what they're going to try to do because they're going to run the they're going to run the ball like 40 times. And in fact, if you look up the UT versus Florida game this year, their rushing stats on the day were, I mean, honestly, not very good, but the rushing stats on the day were, if you actually look at the UT versus Florida game last week, their um, rushing stats on the day, they had 34 attempts for 201 yards for a 5.9 yards per rush average. This is not a team that we should surrender 5.9 yards per rush. Even if we surrender four, I'll be happy. That's all I ask. I just want to see a couple tackles for loss. I'm going to see several stuffs. I want to see them getting, I want to see them, if they average something high, I want that to be padded out in garbage time and to be taken out. Speaking of things we want to see, what's going on with our O-line? Can you talk a little bit about Ben Cleveland and, and kind of what 
to see from like Cade Mays oh, and yeah. whatnot. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. New, news update time. So Ben Cleveland has a break in the non-weight-bearing bone in his leg. Um, it's a bone that you need to have stability, but it is not necessarily a bone that's going to keep him out for the rest of the year. But he looks like he's going to be out at least through LSU, like it, like probably targeting him to come back at Florida. It looks like what's happening now is that Andrew Thomas has recovered from his ankle injury. They said he was good to go back in Missouri if they really needed him to, but they didn't need him to. And that Cade Mays is going to slide over and take Ben Cleveland's spot on the right and right guard, which is, I think, very interesting. I think it really says a lot about Cade Mays' preparedness. Um, Cade Mays is like, you know, he's a he was a five-star offensive tackle coming out of high school, but he definitely is not the sort of like um, once every 35 years, like physical specimen that somebody like Jamari Sawyer was or Justin Schaefer even. It's just very interesting to me that uh, Cade Mays, as a freshman, even beat out a senior in Kendall Baker, who has started like 30 games. Kendall Baker, who himself played at right guard for a very long time for this UGA team. So I'm just very interested that, you know, the coaches are putting that much trust in him, especially the emotional trust they put in him, considering that his dad was a former captain at UT. And he was, you know, basically a UT lock six months before signing day last year. And so the fact that they trust both his preparation his body type and and you know the fact that he won't get emotional in this big game against a team that he you know knows a lot of the people on is very telling to me. I mean, it, it you know sometimes guys come in like uh, Isaiah Wilson is a very good example of this. Isaiah Wilson came in as a freshman. He was a physical specimen. He was a five star offensive lineman, but he didn't play at all because he wasn't ready to play. I mean, he just had too much bad, bad fat. He wasn't in good enough shape, even if he had all the all the muscle mass and all of the you know talent in the world. And I wonder if. You know, some of those offensive linemen behind them are behind Cade Mays are kind of finding that out this year that you can, it's not enough just to be a heralded freshman anymore on uh, on UGA's offensive line. You actually also have to be good at everything. And I think that's like to me, that's very comforting, because if you have an offensive line that is deep enough that you can plug in one guy over a bunch of one five star freshman over a bunch of other five star freshmen, you've got a pretty good offensive line. Uh, what's going on with our wide receivers we got terry godwin who's injured and terry also godwin looks, robertson injured. well my understanding is that terry godwin will be back mccall hardman looks like he'll be back Let's see tyson campbell looks like he'll be back yeah tyson campbell's fine tyler simmons is going to be out for some amount of time with an un, with an injury uh it also looks like that we may not get oh ben cleveland is the only other person that's not supposed to be back at full health monty rice who was Dealing with a nagging MCL uh, issue from apparently before the beginning of the season is also going to be back. So we should be pretty close to full strength. And the one place that we're not at full strength is probably the deepest part of the team. So even though we have been experiencing what feels like anecdotally more injuries than last year, we've been very lucky in terms of like where these injuries have been coming. Knock on wood. Is Demetrius Robertson not hurt? Uh, no, I, I haven't seen anything about him being hurt. Okay. It, it looks like that what's-his-face, uh, that DeAndre swift should actually be he was in a boot uh, last week yeah yeah well it looks like deandre swift should be back at full health okay right or or trying to you know get there at least get through yeah he has some kind of nagging he has some sort of like nagging groin injury or something which is one of those like soft tissue issue uh issues that's like kind of tough and tends to hang around Mm -hmm. soft tissue issue (laughs) yeah Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) Go ahead. Talk about those groin issues. No, I mean when you have a when you have a bad uh when you have a bad, when you have a like a nagging injury in like a big muscle, whether it's in like a bicep or a uh, a quad or anything like that, you know, it's 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 something that really hurts. And oh, it's one of those sure, things yeah. where it hurts even if you probably can't make it worse. 
I had a hamstring injury one time that I couldn't make worse, but basically it was just, it, I was in pain all the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I imagine that's why he's not at full. At oh, full for health. sure. I, I was only laughing at the, the, the words the soft, tissue, soft issue. tissue issue. I tore my well, glutes that, six years ago and it still bothers me almost every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fun. Yeah. Uh, you want to move into over-unders? Yeah. Let's talk about some over-unders. Yeah. yeah hit me with one. Uh, let's take the, the most traditional over and over-under. Uh, 63.5 points total. That is from the Vegas consensus for Bet Vegas Online right now. I'm going to go under that one. Okay. And the only reason... I'm going to go... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was, no, you go. You got it. I, I, You know, I, I can see this Tennessee team getting a score, like getting a full touchdown, but I, I find it more likely that they just get field goals than they get touchdowns at this point. So, uh, And with that in mind, I, I just don't think that... I don't foresee this game going over 50 on our end because that sounds... I don't know. That's just not something we do. I mean, we're averaging 43 points a game. And, and if we score more than 50, great. That'd be fantastic. I'm really excited about that. I just don't necessarily foresee that that happening. I, f- I see us controlling the ball more. And I know they're really bad against the explosive play, but I, I, f- I see us running a lot more and getting back to our roots in a way that we did not. Uh, you know, we, we, we couldn't start the run game last game. So I'm going to say over. Um, and I'm, a sp- I'm essentially going to say over for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, if you look at their at what they give up in terms of marginal explosiveness, most of their marginal explosiveness numbers are okay on an individual basis, except for their starting two defensive backs. They have uh, Keeson Nixon, who is a defensive back. He's a senior. He's giving up a negative point five seven marginal explosiveness, which is not great. And then uh, JT Eby, who which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing, he's giving up a point one six marginal explosiveness. Uh, both of those guys are both positive on marginal efficiency as well um so i just i don't really think that the back half of this offense is very good and or the back half of this defense is very good and i think that we will have routine pass plays to the boundary that go for touchdowns and that that is going to get us above the number so i'm going to go over okay i like it my over under was uga 50 and a half points 50 and a half Oof, that's tough i've gone back and forth and back and forth Mm -hmm. let me go over I'm probably going to get this one wrong, but I'm going to go over. Yeah, it's a big score. I'm going to go under. What you got? I'm going to go with uh, over under 20 points or 20 snaps for Justin Fields. I think that's over for sure. I yeah, think we're going to yeah, see a too. lot of Justin Fields this game. Yeah, me too. Over. Yeah, I think nail that's it, fair to say. Over there. I think that, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's something you get into a little bit in a bit. Is We're just going to see a whole lot of Justin Fields. Jake Fromm's going to come out of this game real early. This isn't a game we're going to waste his energy on. Yeah, I hope. I certainly hope so. Yeah, for sure. Over under two and a half punts returned for touchdowns by UGA. Two and a half punts, under. Under. Yeah, dude. It's been a long damn time since the team had three punt returns for touchdowns, like when Georgia Tech gave them up. Yeah, I mean uh, the, uh, to USF. I mean it's not impossible, but it just doesn't feel like it to me. I should have said one and a half because what I was really going for was I was thinking we'd probably have two, but okay, one and a half. Um, yeah, one and a half. I'm still going to go tentatively under. I'm going to go over hoping for two. I'm going to think we have two because McCall Hardman's got his all-purpose yards. What was the last game or the game before? It was about 200. And it, that was yeah. that was both combined. Punt return yards, kick return yards, and actually passing yards, receiving yards. And so I, I can see that happening. And I can see maybe us rotating uh, different guys into this receiving and McCall Hardman getting enough and then kind of being rotated out. But we'll see what happens. I think we could possibly get two punts returned. Okay. Over under 0.5 100-yard performances from UGA running backs. Basically, <laughs> do you think we're going to have a 100-yard performance from a running back, which we have yet to this year? I do think that. 
I think Elijah Holyfield hits 100 yards this game. Is that overall I'm or just, just rushing? Let's say rushing. Okay. Yeah, I'll say I'll say over. Just because over for me too. Yeah, I think that Elijah Holyfield hits 100. I think that he probably gets one really big like 60 or 70 yard runoff. Mhm. And then just dinking and dunking the rest. See, I did it. Did I do it right? Yeah, dinking and dunking. <laughs> there we go. Word of the day. I did it. Uh over under three and a half Georgia sacks. Oh. Uh, over. I think so too. This is a team with a very bad uh offensive sack rate. Like real bad. Like really bad. Yeah, I think they have the like one hundredth sack rate in the nation. Oh, it's way worse than that. Their offensive uh standard down sack rate is one hundred and twenty sixth. Way worse. It's so bad. And then their uh, offensive stuff rate is one twenty third. It's real bad. So yeah, so yeah, I think I think we definitely are gonna. I think we're gonna get a lot of havoc plays. Yeah, I think this is I, the I team we practice said, it on. Yeah, I, I think if you said over under five havoc plays, I still might have taken the over. Really? <laughs> yeah, I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna have to do pretty well. Well, this was them. specifically sacks. I will say that it yeah, wasn't yeah, just. Yeah, I know. Havoc. I know. Okay. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take the over anyway. I'm just saying, even if you had said that, I would probably have still said over. All right. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna beat the hell out of these guys. I'm really excited. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Uh, well, you're not a teacher, but there's this thing that happens sometimes when you're a teacher where you call home on a kid and you're like, listen, and I, I whenever I call home, I try to be really reasonable. I've, ne- I've never like tried to tell on kids. I try to just be more like, listen, here's what happened. Usually I'll take the kid in the room with me. I'll call home and I'll say, hey, here's what happened with this kid today. Here's my problem with it. Here's what I need to stop. Can you talk to him for me? And he's just standing there. It, usually just watching me in horror as I say this to the, his mom <laughs> and I hand the phone to his mom. And when you, there's a certain type of Southern woman, re, re, just regardless of race, woman born in the South who gets this tone of voice where she goes, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I'd love to talk to him. And you hand the phone over and there's like, Hey mom. Yeah. 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 And then he hands the phone back and you're like, uh, hello, Miss So-and-so. Uh, um, you know, do you, is there any other questions you had for me? And she's like, well, I just want to say thank you for calling me. And you're going to see a much different him tomorrow when he comes to school. <laughs> and if you don't at all, you call me right now. Right, as soon as that happens, you just call me right then. And it, it, I'll drop everything. I'll come take care of it right now. Um, and that is the tone of voice that I would associate with what's going to happen in this game. Because that's the tone of voice of a mom who's about to say, go get a switch. Yeah. And I think that, that not that I, you know, am condoning or condemning corporal punishment in children. I'm just saying that, like, I think that's what UJ is going to do to UT to this weekend. So who called Kirby Smart to to tell him the facts about their bad child, Jeremy Pruitt? I think Pruitt. Kirby Smart. No, I actually think what happened is that, like, Jeremy Pruitt sent Kirby, you know, Jeremy Pruitt showed um, his team clips of our run defense against mizzou and was like yeah we can do this we can do this to them guys and then kirby smart heard about it and was like okay okay <laughs> okay uh-huh. yeah uh-huh yep uh-huh i actually had a i had a mom one time where i called her the second time it was like the next day when she'd said like you're gonna see a much different one and i'm like hey miss so-and-so you know just started to say kind of things things kind of happening and you know i'm having i'm probably gonna have to write him up and she's like oh yeah you write him up but hey uh, are you gonna be at school until like 2 30 and i was like yeah because it was two o'clock and school i got out of three and i was like yeah and she's like okay i'll see you soon hang up <laughs> 25 minutes later this woman has driven from another town and just been like she's in the front office and she's like will you go get him out of class and i was like uh 
let me go get the principal because i didn't want him to i didn't want her to like attack him in yeah school. <laughs> um and anyway so that's what i would that that's my metaphor for what i think this game is going to be hey let's go into predictions yes so our uh our spread real quick we have a 31 and a half point spread in george's favor in vegas odds and then our smb plus spread is negative 26.3 which is in george's favor of course what I will say about the Vegas odds, I think this is a little bit inflated right now based off of last week's game against Florida. Now, the S&P Plus spread is probably much more accurate than the Vegas odds will be. And so don't go bet on Georgia's spread this weekend, please. Yeah, probably not a good idea. No, do not do that. If you're, if you're watching or you're listening to this, I think a few people have said on Twitter before, like, I listen to this because I bet on sports. And I'm like, please don't bet on this one. <laughs> this yeah, one could yeah, go it, either way. We do, we we do not give out sports betting advice. We definitely do not give out sports betting advice on this game. Mm-mm. Okay, so uh, what's your prediction for the game, Nathan? Okay, um, I see a relatively boring game in the sense that it's not going to be a lot of drama, some cool plays, but not drama. I've been wrong before, and they they could win this game, but I it's difficult for me to see a path that's not just a total emergency situation on UGA's part where that happens. Um, I think UGA is probably going to be able to impose its will in the running behind Holyfield, who I think is kind of a very good day. I think Fromm's going to make it comfortable by blowing a couple of plays open. I think he'll have one back shoulder throw deep that goes for a long gain. And then we'll probably have like a Demetrius Robertson or a McCole Hardman outside screen or just like, you know, pitch out that goes for a long way. I think that Fromm doesn't make it, makes it comfortable and doesn't take a snap after the halftime. I know that Smart and Pruitt are old friends and work together on several different staffs, but Smart didn't retain Pruitt when he had the chance to uh, when he came to UGA. Is all I'm saying. Put that so out there. I'm not sure that even if they're old friends, that's going to be enough to call off the dogs. And I also am not sure that this this is the the highest profile team that we've played with a good that has a good name recognition, right? Like you don't get a lot of name recognition for like taking Austin P or MTSU to the woodshed. And I I fear for Pruitt's boys that we will if we beat the crap out of Tennessee. So I think that this is a game that is. I'm going to predict 53-24. And I honestly, I if I if I had to move that line, I would probably move it UT down to like 17. I threw them an extra touchdown because I figure they're probably going to get one in the third mm-hmm. or fourth against the backups. But yeah, 53-24. That's fair. Did you know that we got DeAndre Baker because of Pruitt? Yeah, I did know that. We have yeah. Pruitt to thank for dad. Yeah, also we have Pruitt to thank for the uh, Jeremy Pruitt Memorial uh, Indoor Practice Facility. We sure we have do. One. And he went outside. He went out and said, "Yeah, I told this team and all of the recruits that they're going to be the last team that don't have an indoor practice facility." Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, Jeremy Pruitt for as hot of a head as he is, like, and a guy I would never ever want to work with in my life. It, he at least goes to fight for his his students and everything, and I like that about him a lot. I have that to respect him for. My prediction in this game, I think that their offense is going to have one hell of a time getting started. It's going to be really hard for them. Uh, I do think we get up to mid-20s, early 30s around halftime and then just control the game for the rest of the second half. I think Justin Fields will come in and and around the third, if not some of the second, and split some snaps with uh, Jake Fromm. I think that Justin Fields still gets some plays off. I think with the, you know, the, the, the seconds and uh, the twos and threes and excuse me, the twos and the reason Justin Fields is going to have to do a little bit of cleanup at times. Like we saw him in, was it the USC game where he ran for his touchdown? Was yeah. it USC? No, it was MTSU. MTSU. And so I think we see a little bit of that. And then we're going to get a couple more touchdowns in the third and fourth, of course, because it's, it's just not, it's not easy to not score against a team with a defense as bad, in my opinion. I think that, 
it'll probably end up coming to somewhere around 49-6. I don't think Tennessee scores a touchdown this game. Oh, man. Yeah. Brave. That's brave. I've been going real, real bold on these predictions, and that's why I'm losing. I I appreciate it. But the one time I get it, it's going to be real, real nice. It's going to be awesome, (laughs) yeah, when you just nail it. And I haven't been that far off. I've been right around like eight or nine points off, so I'm not too upset about it. No, I mean we've been we've been actually pretty good on the predictions today mm-hmm. or to this point. So you want to do some Ask CBC? I would love to do some Ask CBCs. So our very first Ask CBC comes from Ben Shepard. Said true or false? There are less than two T's in the correct pronunciation of Atlanta. That sounds like Yankee talk to me. <laughs> that sounds like well, I just said Atlanta, and I'm from Atlanta, which is how I usually me say too. it. But if I'm reading yeah, it off Atlanta. a sheet of paper, I will say Atlanta. But if I'm yeah. just talking well, to somebody, same, same. it's Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. There's only one T in Atlanta. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the name itself is a bastardization of a Greek hero, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And even that, it's hard to say without the D in it to me. It's Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta. So, I like, they're, they're zero is the number. It's a D and then, like, an N. Yeah, it's like Atlanta. And it's not even an A that starts it. For me, it's an E. At and this is what I would have to say to all you Big Ten fans out there. You guys already burnt this f***er down. <laughs> like, just let us have the name. You burnt you burnt it to the ground. We we keep the name. Do you need the you name, too? Have the, we, yeah. Do you want the name, too? Do you want to rename it, like, Noodles and Gravy <laughs> City? We're going to call it Poutine Town. Actually, just Poutine. Hey, actually, no. Actually, I take that back. I, would, I, will, I will cast dispersions at, like, the, mid, the Midwest and uh, the Northeast. But, like, we don't talk about Poutine in this, on this household. Poutine's a bomb. Wisconsin is truly like, it's like the Georgia of the South. Like Madison is just like Athens and Atlanta combined. It's like a small, it's like Atlanta and Athens had a baby. And all they do is drink and eat dairy products. <laughs> it, is, it is a very Southern place. It's true. Right. Like the North in some parts is definitely mirrored by the South. And if you were to flip it over on itself, it'd create, oh, yeah. yeah, it'd be the same thing. If, if, if you if you flipped it, then like Pennsylvania would become Mississippi. But we'd have to cut off Florida, get rid of Florida. Or now Pennsylvania is Tennessee. I don't know what Mississippi is. Indiana, probably. Something like that. Or probably Iowa. Indiana. Uh, yeah, Iowa's more, I feel like Iowa's more like Alabama. It's like really the middle of nowhere. Anyway, carrying on. Carrying on. <laughs> Banshee Radio asks, what's the over-under on how many Tennessee players quit on Saturday? I mean, over-under 0.5. I guess it could happen. Yeah, it could definitely. I mean, what's his face? Who was, who was at the quit last week? Came back. And he's apologized. Uh, I forget what his name is. He's a linebacker. Do you think it happens again? And he also, <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to happen again. Although I will say like Wes Rucker is a guy. He writes for 24-7. Um, I think for the their YouTube site, who is I actually like as a writer. Um, and Rest Rucker basically wrote this like open letter to Tennessee fans last week that was, was like, hey, it's going to get better. Jeremy Pruitt's a good coach, but it's also going to get worse. Yeah, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because they have to play Alabama after this. Yeah. yeah that's rough, man. They're not going to go to a bowl game this year, most likely. And you're going to have to deal with that. Which bowl games yeah. are just like thrown out like a dime a dozen these days. Just handed out like yeah. candy. Yeah, well, they're not going to go to a bowl game. And like, you know, FIU and New Mexico are probably going to. Yeah. Hawaii probably will. Ryan Clark asks CBC, do you think Justin Fields gets 20 snaps in this game? Does this feel like a blowout to you, or does Tennessee keep it closer than we want them to? Uh, yes. Over. 20 and snaps. No. And <laughs> no. This is a blowout. No, no. my no came to, does Tennessee keep it closer than we want them to? No, they do not. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely not. We're going to get closer to the spread than we want. I don't think we'll hit the spread necessarily. My, um, my original prediction says we will kill the spread, and so I'm hoping so. I, in my heart of hearts, I do not believe we hit the spread. <laughs> Bowers is asking, I imagine the dogs can run the ball and dominate, but do you think we see UGA work on the deep ball earlier? 
Maybe a plug-and-play O-line will lead to that. I expect to see more. I think we know that Jake Fromm can throw the the back shoulder fade and throw sideline balls. That's his favorite I think ball. That, that, yeah, it really is. It's like his, his rubber ball that he carries around with him for security is the back shoulder uh, sideline fade. So I think that uh, we will see a lot more work on intermediate routes and um, trying to get stuff going over the middle a little bit more, which has sort of been what's absent from this offense to this point. But no, I, don't, I, don't, I, I think we're going to be pretty conservative and be just fine doing it, which is kind of a theme with this team. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, and I definitely think that's true. I think that we're going to see a lot more. Um, this is this is kind of a game that we do a lot of practicing in. We're you know we've been using these first four games to kind of move pieces around and kind of play like this is you are the center now and you are the nose guard and this and that. And so what would it be like if you were the running back and you, like <laughs> Kirby is pointing to like Jackson Harris, the backup tight end, and he's like me, the running back, and he's like yes. What if you were the running? Let's back? just see it happen. That's yeah. that's kind of what it I'm seems the mayor, like. <laughs> I'm Kirby, the mayor of Whoville. Um, <laughs> I don't think we see that as much this game. I think we've kind of figured things out, especially since now we are kind of uh, nursing some wounds. Uh, I don't think this is a deep ball game unless it is actually merited. Like if, for instance, their team comes out and they do really well on the blitz and Jake Fromm has to get the ball out, then you might see more deep balls. But I think we're going to get the ball out of the pocket a lot sooner than that. James Bearfield. Our James Verhield corner, here it is. How would you relate Galileo's paradox of the infinite to our wide receivers? Nathan, take it away. Ahem. Actually, I, I want to I pre-congratulate James, who is like a really smart guy who's going to go to medical school soon for like picking a very appropriate... He's actually picking these very, very he appropriately. He is, yeah. He's doing some and research. I hate to compliment him. Yeah, he really is, but the, this is a good one. All right, so uh, the paradox of the infinite is the idea that in any infinite set, there should be, you know, the, there some numbers are primes and some numbers are not primes, right? And so if every prime can be squared, which means every square root has a prime, theoretically, if you combine all the numbers into two components or into two categories, one which is all of the numbers, um, all of the numbers that are squares and the other which is all the numbers that are not, the ones that include both squares and non-squares should outnumber the primes. But they don't because for for every one square, there's exactly one positive number that is its square root. So there are like simultaneously the same number of squares and non-squares and simultaneously more primes or non-squares than there are squares so this is also this is illustrated and differently in a um a separate paradox called the infinite hotel paradox which is the idea that if you had a hotel of infinite side with with infinite rooms that was at maximum capacity it could still take infinitely more uh guests an infinite number of times basically when you start talking about infinity things get really wonky like the some infinities are bigger than other infinities um here's how i would relate this to uga's wide receiver room uh uga's wide receiver room was not generally suspected to be that good this year and now it's going to be talked about as one of the best in the nation and it's only going to be losing one or two main of its main contributors what we're not talking about right now is that uga has two five-star uh commitments in uh in the fold for wide receiver in 2019 being which are the first two that we've had since um aj green and Marlon Brown. So I, I think this is one of those things where like truly apparently UGA's wide receiver room is an infinite hotel. <laughs> so is its O-line room. Its O-line room is already an infinite hotel. Sam, Sam Pittman is just the world's greatest innkeeper. <laughs> or it's Hotel there's, California. There's all, yeah, there's always... Yeah, you can check out, but you can never leave. <laughs> Once you're one of Sam Pittman's boys, you're here for life. This is it, my friend. There's, this next question is also from James Bearfield. He is... <laughs> I think James Bearfield's kind of like our executive producer now. He asks for the he is he's our executive troll more. Like yeah, it. for the new brewery segment, what part of the brewing process makes Coors Light the best beer on the market? And I guess this question is for me. 
Yeah, you go. Okay, so thought a lot about this because the second question in relation to your first question, which all of your questions regarding paradoxes and, uh, you know, just different philosophical questions have always really kind of, um, they've been very relevant with the actual team. And so when you asked this brewery segment question, I was a bit confused because I didn't know if you were trolling or you were trying to be appropriate based on some sort of knowledge that you may have on Coors Light. And so I'm approaching it in a a very objective way. Coors Light, why is it the best beer on the market is what you asked. What part of the brewing process? So the, the interesting thing about domestic beers like Coors Light, Budweiser and Bud Light and all these beers is that they are made with with less flavor on purpose. And the way they're made with less flavor on purpose is by using a mixture. There, you know, first of all, back up a bit. There are four four ingredients in beer. If you wanted to make the simplest beer in the world, you could use four ingredients. It's water, hops, malts, and yeast. And so Coors Light introduces, instead of that malt compound, that, that malt piece, instead of using just malted barley... Coors Light and all the other domestic beers introduce corn, and they introduce rice in some instances, which ends up being a lot cheaper than than malts and barley and all those things. But it tastes just like it sounds. It just tastes like rice and corn, <laughs> which is why, on one hand, a lot of people really enjoy drinking those beers, and that's why they're also light beers, because they have a lot less calories, because they don't have all those carbs. But also, there is no flavor. And so, on. you know, you can really enjoy it for a long time. You can sit there and drink it for a long time. There's just not a lot to look for. There's no, no complexity. But I, th- I started thinking about that, why people are drawn to that. And, you know, we, we drink beer in social situations, and it, it makes us all a lot more comfortable to be doing something while we're in social social situations that are, you know, elongated, and they, they are strong, you know, strewn about over a longer period of time. And so having a thing you're also doing while talking to everybody is what makes you comfortable. And so having a beer in your hand, for instance, and being able to turn back to that beer and drink it throughout a conversation with a group of people is something you can always turn back to or rely on or fall back on. And so Coors Light now, by just pure revenue and sales standards, is the second most popular beer uh, on the market, with the first one being Bud Light. And it's by a huge margin. But uh, I just think that all of those factors right there kind of factor into why James Beerfield... (laughs) Coors Light is the best beer on the market, and that's the part of the brewing process that would factor into it. Sorry for the roundabout answer. No, no, that's a good that's answer. That's a rambling answer. If you want to drink, if you want to drink a beer for a long time that is not a, uh, that is not, you know, a domestic. Well, first off, if you're drinking a domestic, you should drink Miller High Life because it is truly the champagne of beers. That's mm-hmm. here only there. Uh, I would definitely try a session, a session IPA. Rec Ale is a decent session IPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, all day IPA by founders. I really like that's what we call a lot of other... we call this porch pounders. Yeah, you can drink they're flavorful, but they're low uh, ABV, and you can drink mm-hmm. a lot of them over a long period of time. There's also some really good like Radlers and um, yeah, beer mixes out there. Um, just if you just look up Radlers, like most of the German ones are pretty decent. Biker beer, uh, or is like another German import mm-hmm. beer that you can get. It's a style that's very good. What, what, what what's your like go to porch pounder? um that's not like you know pbr or whatever i do like pbr a lot actually and i do like miller high life uh you know and i am part of the the side of craft beer drinkers that i really want to say like it's something we fall back on a lot in this podcast is we don't yuck yums so if you want to drink coors light go nuts i don't care well i mean listen listen this is definitely going to be a patreon only moment but like the very few people in their college career have drank more miller high life than i do so like (laughs) i i can't if you saw where I lived in college, you would know I can't cast stones. I don't think that's a, that's a Patreon piece. Everybody drank Miller High Life. No, my, my porch pounder for sure is uh, 
I like a good lager. I really like dry hop lagers, something that's mm-hmm. it's a little bit fresher. Mm-hmm. But I like I don't like a beer to be too sugary. And something that happens with those other IPAs and double IPAs and all those really popular beers right now is they're just too sugary. They're like sugar bombs. That's where you're getting all that really nice fruit flavor from. That's the way the, the yeast interacts with the, the malts and everything. And so not for me. But my um, I really like, and I always fall back to Creature Comforts, I know, but they make really good beer, and they're three miles from my house. Uh, the Classic City Lager is an incredible, simple, easy-drinking answer to domestic beer drinkers who have been, uh, you know, they don't find the craft beer market accessible. It tastes just like Coors Light or any of those other beers, but it has real ingredients. But it has flavor. <laughs> and it has flavor. Yeah. And it's light and it's easy drinking. Yeah. and it's good. But yeah, I'll, I'll always drink a Pilsner or a, a lager or a, a lower ABV pale ale around like the 5% mark. It's really good for me. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Uh, a, a session IPA, Sierra Nevada has a really good session. Sierra Nevada's pale called. ale is a beer I will drink all day. I don't know if that's technically a session IPA, but it might as well be, and it's so good. It's it's kind of a weird thing because there is actually a, a, a term for sessionable IPAs and sessionable pale ales and sessionable beers that is still a category that will actually designates, and it, it fits into a category of like 45 to 5.5%. And then there's a few other factors in there too, but anything in that area is essentially sessionable. His last question, now that we've gone out of this beer segment, sorry to bring everybody through this beer segment. Hey, also, did you see Kentucky's S&P Plus rankings? They are seventh defensively. They have a seventh ranked... Uh, What's their offense? 57th, so that's not worrying, but seventh defensive S&P Plus rank. It'll be interesting to see what that is after they play Texas A&M and South Carolina. Yeah, Texas A&M has a very good offense. So they they have a 51% chance to beat South uh, Texas A&M and a 62% chance to beat South Carolina. I think they are the SEC East Dark Horse for sure. They're supposed to win every game from here on out except for us. Kentucky could go 11 and 1, which is a weird thing to say out loud. Yeah, they really could. That game's going to be pretty important. Oh, one other thing. Let me put this in. Uh, we have an off weekend coming up, folks, and oh, yeah. we are very interested in knowing what content you want from us on our off weekend. So if you have an idea of something you want us to talk about or a deep dive you want us to go on or just a general episode you're thinking about, uh, you know, something you'd like to hear on the episode, please, please, please hit us up. You can email us at chapelbellcover.com. You can hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I don't know why you'd hit us on Instagram, but you could um, sure. at Chapel Bell Curve, and we will try to address it in our off off week episode. We're going to try to do... I think we have a couple of ideas of stuff that we've got cooking on, but I definitely want to be responsive to the community. So anything you guys want to hear, please, please, please hit us up. Yeah, we got three weeks. All right. So this has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us anywhere you can get a uh, podcast, including Spotify. Uh, if you would be so kind, please leave us, a, leave us a rating and a review because it really helps our exposure, which you guys have been great about. Thank you so much. We will catch you in the Classic City this weekend at the UT game, 330 sharp. But until then, go dogs. Go dogs.